Lies were like acid, corrosive. They could dissolve trust in a heartbeat. Rob Thurman. Violent Vice contains graphic and or explicit content, which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Violent Vice. My name is Audie Griffith. And I'm John John. Hello. Hello. If you guys could do us a favor, leave us a review, hit that subscribe button. We'd really, really appreciate it. Helps us out on the business end. Now, today we're covering kind of a classic trope, so to speak. So trope? Yeah, kind of. It's real crimes, but the Mm -hmm. crime is kind of like a classic trope when you think of how do you get rid of a body? Like, what's the most oh. clean way? Pig farmer. Uh, that's in movies to Pig get farmer. rid of a body. Wood chipper. That leaves no trace. Pig farmer. That's not a movie. Uh, oh. To bury the body eight feet down and three feet Above that, to bury a, like, dead roadkill so that any dogs that are sniffing will find the dead carcass of the roadkill and then they'd they leave. That's a Reddit trope. <laughs> oh, okay. So you Think, saw that one, too. Yeah. You saw that one? <laughs> yeah. Jeez. <laughs> if we're not on a list, John, John, we are now. <laughs> well, probably, but, I mean, why wouldn't we at this point? Um, Think of, like, maybe bread. As a an example, as a red, yeah, the movie, like the movie, yeah. How does Victoria get rid of a body? Oh, or Breaking Bad might be another example. Oh, and I still haven't seen that, but Sarah is very adamant that I need to watch that with her soon. You so. need to watch that. Listen to Sarah. Okay, well, I'm guessing based on that other clue, we're talking about acid baths. Yes. Yes, we are. We are talking mm. about acid bath murders. Gross. Yeah, yeah. So are they disposals of bodies or like murdered with acid? Disposals. Okay, I have heard of like some versions of assault where people would like attack somebody with acid who's alive and survive but is discard. Yeah, that kind of gets into a lot of. Um, most of the time, depending on the countries, it's men doing that to women to kind of maim them or scar them if they've been jilted in their minds or whatnot. We can get into that a little mm. in a different time because that that's a very still prevalent crime in today's world. Yeah. But we are just talking purely body disposal at this point. Okay. Now, have you ever watched The Blacklist? Yes. Yes, we have. Okay, so there's the one guy. How? What's what's his code name? Um. So stew maker or something. Yep, I I believe it's the stew maker. That sounds familiar. Something like that. Like they all they all have clever names for whatever their thing. Like the courier was somebody who transported stuff inside his body, and that was clever. But 
Yeah, this was somebody who literally eliminated any trace of people, like a like a person's body, like it could not be found. Yeah, because it had fully dissolved, and and I'm also thinking of the Rick and Morty episode of the vat of acid. Oh jeez, <laughs> Rick and Morty is a whole other ballpark here. Yeah. Um, but oh, and Archer. Archer as well, yeah. But like yes. I said, kind of classic trope of like how to get rid of a body and everything. So today we are going to talk about one of two people that kind of inspired, sadly inspired, this crime and how media kind of took their crime and made it prevalent today. And then we're going to also get into random crimes that were also used in recent days too. Okay. So, so like the two... The two that started it all and then those that took inspiration from them? Yes. And okay. we're only really talking about one of the two because the one of the two was inspired by the other one and the other one just didn't have enough on it to really cover any cover anything of significance. Hmm. Like it was not covered enough or it wasn't investigated enough? Not covered enough and happened during World War war one i believe so a lot of the information oh, is lost yeah. or just not there because it wasn't prevalent in the news like, I era i think there was like accurate fingerprint matching at that point no like there there is barely anything but he was caught and apprehended it's just nothing was really covered because you know everyone was focused on the war efforts mm-hmm. so so the main person we are talking about today is john george hay John Hay was born in Stamford, Lincolnshire, and raised in a village of Outwood, West Reading of Yorkshire. His parents were engineer John Robert Hay and his wife Emily Hudson, members of the Plymouth Brethren, a conservative Protestant sect. Hay later claimed that he suffered from recurring religious nightmares in his childhood. He developed a great proficiency at the piano, which he learned at home. He was also fond of classical music and often attended concerts as well so like think of like classical music concerts and all that stuff kind of going on like one of the people that would go see mozart at a theater yeah though mm. I, I think this is a little a little later than mozart but yeah yeah but like that kind of concerts they aren't going to see mumford and sons they're seeing yes a recital yep they are seeing recitals or orchestras you, you know like that mm-hmm. and, Anyways, uh, Hay won a scholarship to Queen Elizabeth Grammar School in Wakefield and then to Wakefield Cathedral, where he became a choir boy. He left school at 17 and was apprenticed for a time to a motor engineer. After a year, he left that job and took jobs in insurance and advertising. At age 21, he was dismissed after being suspected of stealing from a cash box at his job. On July 6th of 1934, Hay married... 23-year-old Beatrice Betty Hammer. The marriage soon disintegrated, however. The same year that Hay was jailed for fraud, Betty gave birth while he was in prison, and although she placed the baby girl up for adoption, and then she left Hay thereafter, leaving no trace of Hay in her life. Hay's conservative family then ostracized him from then onwards, because I think he agreed for the adoption and then the divorce. So So I was like, Essentially just like a blight on the family tree and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. He's He came from a very religious family, so like divorce is not really an option. Yeah, just in general, that's enough to like disown somebody back then. Yep, yep. 
so or be the black sheep of the family, that sort of thing. On his release from jail, he started a dry cleaning business with a partner. This was quite su- successful venture at the time until his partner was killed in a car crash and then the business collapsed shortly thereafter. So while his partner was alive, I think his partner did a lot of the work. It succeeded, and then after he mm-hmm. died, it just failed. Mm. Like he wasn't able to run it himself. It was more like he was a partner, but really it was more just he had his name on the sign. Yeah. Yep. So after the business venture collapsed, Hay moved to London in 1936 and became a chauffeur to the William McSwan, a wealthy owner of the amusement arcades. He also maintained McSwan's amusement machines for him in the arcades. Thereafter, he pretended to be a solicitor named William Cato Adminson with offices in Chancery Lane, London, Guildford, Surrey, and Hastings in Sussex. He sold fraudulent stock shares purportedly from the estates of his deceased clients at below market rates. So he was, you know, doing insurance fraud and all that stuff. His scam was uncovered by someone who noticed he had misspelled Guilford uh, as Guilford on his letterhead. So he, uh, it was like an additional letter on there. Mm-hmm. Where it was just like, Clearly fraudulent, and it was made pretty clear yeah. by the person. He was a swindler. Yeah, he, he was swindling people. He then received a four-year prison sentence for fraud from this venture. He was released just after the start of the Second World War, where he continued as a fraudster and was sentenced to several further terms of imprisonment. Regretting that he had left his victims alive to accuse him, he became intrigued by a French murderer, Georges Alexander Serret. This was the other guy who I talked about who also used um, acid baths. He, um, Serret had disposed of bodies using sulfuric acid. So Serret's kind of the main inspiration or the first inspiration for this type of body. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that name is familiar. How is it spelled again? It's Serret, S-A-R-R-E-T. I believe that's a, a famous family name. Like Surratt or something like that. It is spelled similar. Okay. But, like, is it Georges or... What, I, we're going to need... Because okay. French is weird. So, I... Okay, yeah, yes, you are right. It is French, so I probably pronounced it horribly, horribly wrong. So it's probably Georges Alexandre... Sarah is how I'm assuming. Okay. See, yes. I feel like that's much... Like, it's ringing, like, a, the bell is ringing louder. That sounds super familiar. And I want to say there was some sort of reference to him in something. He he is known for this. So, like, if you are yeah. kind of a true crime buff or whatnot, his name will come up. And uh, you might be thinking of, like, Sarah Sarah or something like that. Could be, but I'm also like, I feel like it might even be from a book. Do you, Was it in like the All Souls trilogy? I have doubt you, it. Have you read The Discovery of Witches? I just read the first two. I haven't read this third one. I am so happy to learn that because that is like my favorite book series and I didn't, yeah. I'm, I'm aware that I think they have four now. 
Yeah, they have four. Uh, the third one's but, really good, and then the fourth one is kind of like a side character story. Okay. Also, we'll say, as much as the characters don't look like they did in my head, the Sundance Channel did a very good representation of the discovery of witches. I, I agree to an extent. They left out a lot of stuff. Well, but, I mean, there's a lot to those books. Yeah, I did read I mean, the... So, funny, if we're going off on a tangent here, so sorry, listeners, Mm -hmm. but uh, when the last book came out, so um, our our bookstore had a midnight releasing of it, so I got it at midnight, and I stayed up for a full uh, 24 hours reading it, because I believe it was like something like a thousand pages or close to, it's a huge, huge book, the third one. Yes, that's a weird, like fantasy mixed with history book for those who haven't read it where like it does sort of like the assassin's creed games integrate a fantasy story with just like the gaps in history so the last book is called the book of life the first one's the discovery of witches i i've just always mm-hmm. called them the discovery wish which is and then the second book is the shadow of night because of the affiliation mm-hmm. with that group but yeah, like it has a lot of like connections to like the Oxford University and stuff like it that. It is such a good series. And like if you're a history buff too, it is the best book series. Like it's also like one of those like saucy romance books, but I was more into the history fantasy type stuff of it. And yeah. that still kept me intrigued even through the saucy parts, which don't exactly appear appeal to guys. Anyway. So I'm not... I'm going to correct you there. There is a romance in it. It's not the main plot point. And no, but it's there's, in there. It, yeah, the, the romance is in there. But when you think of a saucy book, Jaja, there is way more. It, it can be way worse. The, there is way more. It is aware. not considered a saucy book. <laughs> it's, it's a fantasy romance, historical fantasy romance book, though. Yeah. But... but like, it's it's got like it's one of those like the princess bride where it's a mix of many different genres. Yes. That, that that's a good that's a good way to put it. Yeah, but the main things is the historical fantasy and the supernatural relationship. Yeah. Yeah. But again, can't recommend that book series enough. And I'm so glad you've read that. But I don't Yeah. I want to say it was not in the first book though that it was referenced. It would have like, so I believe if it's one of the names or like the like I said the Sarah family was kind of famous so he could have been mentioned in the second book mm-hmm. when they travel like back that, in time. There is a lot of history references in that yeah. second book. But. but this particular person it is around World War Two, so that was not covered mm-hmm. in this series. Okay. So. Well. Still. Yeah. But good segue back kind of yeah. to it. Hey, do you love gold jewelry? That has meaning. Do you want to emphasize your beauty and uniqueness? Check out libertabrilliere.com. That's L-I-B-E-R-T-A-B-R-I-L-L-A-R-E.com. They have a great selection of 18 karat gold-plated jewelry at an affordable price. I personally got the Yasami, a snake, and Isa, and I absolutely love them. Go to libertabrilliere.com and use code B-I-C-E, all caps, for 50% off. That's right, 50% off 
all caps on the vice. And stay sparkly, darling. So, hmm. again, uh, our guy, hey, he wanted to kind of take after George or Georges Alexandra Seurat, who used bodies or disposed of bodies using sulfuric acid. Hay had experimented with field mice and found that it took only 30 minutes for the body to completely dissolve in this method. So I believe that was while he was serving prison time or just shortly thereafter. Like 30 seconds to fully dissolve the minutes. body? Minutes. Minutes. Okay. It's just like, that doesn't sound right. 30 seconds, that's impossible almost. But 30 minutes, yes, that makes sense. Yep. So, Hay was freed from prison in 1943 and became an accountant with an engineering firm. Always leading back to engineering with Hay. Soon after, by chance, he bumped into his former employer, William McSwan, in Kingston Pub. McSwan introduced Hay to his parents, Donald and Amy. McSwan worked for them by collecting rents on their London properties, and Hay became envious of his lifestyle. On... September 6th of 1944, McSwan disappeared. Hay later admitted he had lured McSwan to a basement in Gloucestershire Road and hit him over the head with a lead pipe. And then he put his body in a 40-gallon drum with concentrated sulfuric acid. Two days later, finding that McSwan's body had mostly dissolved, Hay emptied the drum into a manhole. So, his first victim was McSwan, his old employer. Hmm. Yeah. Gross. Yep. And then he just dumped it into the wastewater. That probably led to the Thames. Yeah, I mean, it was London, so it did yeah. lead to the Thames. Anyways, he told McSwan's parents that their son had gone into hiding in Scotland to avoid being called up for military service. He then began living in McSwan's house and collecting rent for McSwan's parents. They became curious as to why their son had not returned, as the war was coming to an end. On July 2nd of 1945, he lured the parents to Gloucestershire Road by telling them that their son was back from Scotland for a surprise visit. There, he killed them both with blows to the head and disposed of them in a similar manner. He then stole McSwan's pension checks and sold his parents' properties for around €8,000 and moved to Onslow Court Hotel in Kingston. So, I know this was back in 1945, but that doesn't seem like much. Um, actually, that, like, because pounds to dollars was er. pretty different back then, too. And because of how World War II, like, basically destroyed London, it was worth a lot of money. So, that was probably close to, like, I don't know if I was going to converted i'm guessing it would be close to like over a hundred thousand dollars back then i don't know because well, like sixty thousand in the 70s is close to two hundred thousand today gotcha well well i keep reading this do you want to just check online and use a converter 1945 8 000 euro london to u.s dollars? yeah i can do that let's do that all right well i'm going to continue on so just you know, repeating, Hay stole the McSwan's pension checks and sold the properties for about 8,000 euro or pound and then moved to Onslow Court Hotel in Kingston. Hay was a gambler, and by 1947, he was running short of the money he slash 
stole and sold. To solve his financial troubles, he found another couple to kill and rob. Their names were Archibald Henderson and his wife, Rose. After feigning interest in a house they were selling, he was invited to the Henderson's flat by Rose to play the piano for their housewarming party. While at the flat, Hayes stole Archibald Henderson's revolver, planning to use it in his next crime. Renting a small workshop at 2nd Leopold, Leopold Road, Crowley, Sussex, he moved acid and drums there from his Gloucestershire Road address. He was also known to have stayed at the Crowley's Hotel, the George, on several different occasions. On the 12th of February, 1948, he drove Archibald Henderson to his workshop on the pretext of showing him an invention. When they arrived, Hayes shot Henderson in the head with a stolen revolver. He then lured Rose Henderson to the workshop as well, claiming that her husband had fallen ill and shot her in the head as well. After disposing of the Henderson's bodies and oil drums filled with acid, he forged a letter with their signatures and sold all their possessions for another 8,000 euros, except for their car and dog, which he kept. So at least the dog did not die. Well, I just did some research. Yes. And I can't find the conversion of euros to dollars today, but $8,000 in 1945 is worth $131,693.78 today. Okay. So. Probably a little bit more than that for euros. I would say a little bit more. Like, so close to $150,000. Yeah. So he got that twice. Mm Mm-hmm. Now. But, yeah. Again, at least the dog didn't die. He kept the dog. Yeah, well, I mean, who was the dog going to tell? Also, just like, he's probably getting lonely. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, so he might keep the dog around for a bit. Yep. So, anyways, going on to the next one. By February 1949, Hay had been living in the Onslow Court Hotel, South Kingston, for four years. One of the other residents was Mrs. Olive Henrietta Olivia Roberts Duran Deacon. A really long name. I was going to say, that's it's pretty short, easy. Rolls off the tongue. Six names. That's a lot. And, that, and they say you not to trust somebody with two first names. What do you do when it's all, all six of them are a first name? <laughs> yeah, Olive Henrietta Olivia Roberts Duran Deacon. She was a 69-year-old widow who had lived at the hotel for over six years. The two so off... Go ahead. I would say if I came across somebody named that who was a 69-year-old widow at a hotel, I would assume she may be the most eccentric person I would have ever met. Probably. And, like, I know it's strange now to think, but, like, living at fancy hotels while being insanely wealthy when you're getting older up in years it was... Really common back then. Yeah. I mean, there weren't really that many nursing homes and retirement centers and stuff like that. Because, I mean, I don't think it was until, like, after the world Second World War that people were living into, like, their 70s and 80s. So, Olive had lived in the hotel for six years. The two often exchanged pleasantries at mealtime, and Hay had told her that he was an engineer and an inventor. At lunch on the 
14th of February, Mrs. Duran Deacon showed Hay some false fingernails that she had designed and asked Hay if he could improve upon the idea to a product that would be marketable, so like fake nails. He told her that he would think about it. So she was onto something. They're really I popular mean, now. Yeah, that's a pretty common thing that I've seen lately. And just like even just selling them to kids real quick, like for like preteens and stuff like that. You, know, you can just make it's an hour activity that's close to crafts at this point. Yeah. So just like even that alone is just like it's, there's money to be had there. Yeah, there is. So, on the 18th of February, the two of them drove to Hayes' ramshackle workshop on Crowley in his Avis car, or Elvis car. It's A-L-V-I-S car. car. So, I have never heard of that brand. I haven't either. Elvis? I don't know. I might have to look that up later. Yeah. So... Getting back to the gruesome part, he shot her in the back of the head after removing all of her jewelry and fur coat, then put her body in a 45-gallon corrosion-resistant drum and filled the tank up with sulfuric acid again. He returned to the Onslow Court Hotel and ate a three-course dinner shortly thereafterward. So I don't know how like you can murder someone and then eat a three-course dinner. I feel like that's just not normal. I, I mean... Murdering somebody with acid in general is not normal, but eating afterwards, I feel like, I don't know. If that's already kind of like messed with you enough where that's just how you think and just you've done it enough. Yeah. Probably is less weird to them. But still, like, I don't know. I I just remember like the day that we dissected the fetal pigs in biology. Yeah. I didn't eat for like the next day, day and a half because I was just like my stomach was just turning. Oh, uh, I think I just repressed it while I was eating stuff, and then once that was done, I was just like, oh, hmm. hmm. Yeah. But just gonna you disconnect were... those thought processes. Yeah, you were also though in wrestling too, so like food you had to eat when you could. I mean, when I did eat, I would eat a little bit and not a whole lot. Yeah. Just because I wasn't really supposed to eat a whole lot. That was terrible. Yeah. I thought you were a heavier weight, though, when you were older. Uh, my senior year, I wrestled a full weight class above what I actually was, so I didn't have to worry about it because I was so tired of not eating for the other three years I did that. It was just like, nah, I'm not doing that this year. I'll, ha- I'll wrestle heavier guys, but uh, I'm going to have energy and I'm going to be comfortable. Yeah, no, I felt so bad for you guys. Oh, I could never terrible. do it. Like Thanksgiving and Christmas is during wrestling seasons, and we aren't really allowed to indulge a whole lot in that plus puberty time where people grow (laughs) well i mean you didn't have a whole lot of that (laughs) i didn't but i feel like it probably was i I might have lost an inch because of that because like that is four months out of three years that i did not eat a whole lot so maybe that's maybe i could have been a little bit taller but i just did not have the resources who knows that's true. I don't know. Pick your battles. Pick yeah. your battles. 
The doctor also said, like, based on your my growth plates, I should have been 5'5", five, five, but, you know. Nah, maybe not. Two inches, whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so the next day after, you know, she was murdered, which was a Saturday, guests at the hotel were getting pretty anxious about the absence of Mrs. Duran Deacon from breakfast because... You know, she lived at the hotel for six years. She was a pretty prevalent guest and mm-hmm. made her presence and known. Somebody who wanted to sell, like, glue-on-nail type stuff, an eccentric woman, likely, her presence would have been... Noticed. Like, noticeably missing. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. So they asked Hay if he knew of her whereabouts he told them that he had arranged to meet her but she had failed to turn up for their appointment so just claiming they never met up by that sunday it was obvious that something was majorly wrong hay approached mrs lane who had shown concern the day before and asked if anything had been heard about the missing woman mrs lane told him that she had no news and that she intended to go to the police that afternoon he offered to accompany her and drove her to chelsea police station the policewoman, Sergeant Lamborn, was suspicious of Hay from the start. So, murderers always insert themselves in investigations. Tends to be the case. Some of them don't, but that is sort of a trend. Yeah. So, that Monday, the next day, Scotland Yard's record office was contacted and Hay's criminal record came to light. He had driven to Crowley that morning and emptied the sludge from the tank onto the ground outside his workshop. He had then gone to Horsham and had Mrs. Duran Deacon's jewelry valued. When he returned to the hotel, the police were waiting for him. He gave them a statement reiterating his story about the missed appointment. Thursday saw the police back at Onslow Court Hotel for another statement from Hay, which was largely the same as the first statement, but with a few extra details. Saturday, the 26th of February, the police visited the workshop at Crowley. The door to the workshop was forced open and the detectives noticed the rubbered apron, gas masks, and empty carboys. They also found a recently fired 38 Einfield revolver and a dry cleaning receipt for a black Persian lamb coat. So, stuff she was wearing. Like a recently fired revolver, it's just like, oh, so this might be the murder weapon. Oh, and there's proof that he had her stuff. Yep. And mm. that it was cleaned, so, you know, might have been blood on there or something. Mm. wonder what's up with that. Yep. At 4.15 p.m. Monday, the 28th of February, Detective Inspector Albert Webb was waiting on Onslow Court when Hay returned. Webb took Hay back to the Chelsea Police Station to assist them with their inquiries. Later that night, he confessed to Webb, saying, I've destroyed her with acid. You'll find the sludge that remains at Leopold Road. Every trace has gone. How can you prove a murder if there's no body? He went on to add that the McSwans and the Hendersons to his confession, claiming that he had killed them all as well so that he could drink their blood. So that's uh, that's a new thing. Yeah, that wasn't included in the other descriptions. No, I think it was just to kind of... Gain more notoriety or something like that. For dramatic effect. Possibly. Mm. So on Tuesday, March 1st, the home office pathologist, Dr. Keith Simpson, examined the Crowley workshop. He found bloodstains on the walls and a hat pin at the bottom of the 45-gallon drum. 
After Dr. Simpson had noticed a gallstone in the sludge in the yard, all the residue was collected and taken to the police laboratory. Here it was processed, and it produced a list that included 28 pounds of animal fat, part of a foot, two more gallstones, and a full set of dentures. These, once identified by Miss Duran Deacon's dentist, sealed Hay's fate. Hay was charged with the murder of Mrs. Duran Deacon on the 2nd of March and removed to Lewis Prison. His trial began at Louise Assazi's on the 18th of July, 1949, and finished the following afternoon. It took the jury 17 minutes to find him guilty. He was then hanged by Pierpoint at Wandsworth on the 10th of August, 1949. So his murder was widely publicized, or his trial was widely publicized, and the acid bath method mm-hmm. kind of became a staple in the media after that. I want to say that it was one of, like, the last... Like, part of, like, the last decade or so where hanging was a form of execution in most of, like, the Western countries, too. So I know there is a hanging in the 70s, I believe, was the last one, but it could have been the last public hanging, you're thinking? I think so, probably. Because I know that the French, I want to say also, like, the last execution via guillotine was like near the 90s if not in the 90s like a lot of that weird like spectacle execution stuff yeah toned down in the back half of that century yeah so now that we've kind of gone over the murder that inspired a lot of the media i do want to talk about the breaking bad uh series in season one so this no might, spoilers. You don't want spoilers. No spoilers. All right, fine. We'll, we'll, we'll cut cut this out. I was just going to kind of explain what happened. No spoilers. All right, fine. So I mean, that probably everybody who's listened to this already has seen it except for me, but no spoilers. All right, fine. We'll skip. <laughs> we'll skip. Just okay. for you, John John. Don't say just I never me. did anything for you. I haven't really said that, but... <laughs> I will continue not to do so. (laughs) All right. So another big media kind of storm that came up was in 2009. Santiago Meza Lopez was known as the Pozzolo maker. No spoilers. This isn't part of the show. This is like actually what happened. Okay. Okay. Some spoilers. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right. Joke while you can, because it's kind of gruesome. <laughs> All I right. I trying to as much as possible. Gotcha. So if you don't know what a pozzolo is, it's a traditional Mexican stew containing pork and chilies, which requires prolonged stirring as it sits on the stove. Santiago Meza Lopez earned the nickname the pozzolo maker for a different kind of stew. Humans and caustic soda, which is also known as lye. And he was a disposal expert for the Tijuana drug cartel boss. Lopez claimed to have dissolved more than 300 bodies in his time working for the cartel, and he was paid about $600 per week for his efforts. According to federal agents, the procedure involved filling a drum with about 200 liters of water, adding two sacks of lye, and heating it until it began to boil. After it boiled, he then added bodies and cooked them for about eight hours. Anything that remained was then burned for gasoline. So let's kind of get into a little bit of background about the Pozzoli maker. 
Uh-huh. That yeah. sounds an awful lot like the stew master from, or like the stew maker from the Blacklist. Probably what inspired the stew maker. I think so. But uh, he was the son of Rita Lopez Montoya and Salvador Meza. He worked as a child in Guamachili and the manufacturer of bricks for construction, a company that supported the family that made up of nine children. So he had eight other siblings. He traveled to Tijuana in the mid-1990s in search of a better living condition. According to him, he began his criminal life when he found out that his sister had been raped by members of a criminal organization in the area, so he joined the Tijuana Cartel, a criminal organization through Teodoro Garcia Cimentali, alias El Tio. I am so sorry for the pronunciations. Doing the best. You're trying your best. Yep. So, the alias El Tio. This was led by Arleano Felix Brothers with the aim of assassinating the rapists. He ended up working for the cartel, being in charge of dissolving his enemies with acid or caustic soda while he did his work in several different pro- properties. La Galleria, Malachova Rojas, Ojo de Agua, and Loma Bonita, among a few of the places named. And these were kind of in the outskirts of Tijuana from 2000 to 2009, the year of his capture. So just kind okay, of so recapping. He, like, he the main focus was Tijuana, and he just was working throughout it and, like, the surrounding cities? So those were houses. So, like, properties they're named. Oh. So, like, base camps or, like, hideouts just even houses can be named so like i assume that it was like a estate okay so So. there's just these were locations throughout tijuana yeah throughout the outskirts of tijuana okay and he worked for the cartel from the year 2000 to 2009 dissolving bodies on January 22nd of 2009, he was captured by the military in Baja Seasons neighborhood in Tijuana in a house where he had been partying wildly for several days. His immediate boss, Teodoro El Tio, and 30 other people escaped from the scene during his capture. Having dissolved at least 300 human bodies in caustic soda and water is why he was on the list of the 20 most wanted by the FDI. He is currently deprived of his liberty without a sentence being passed at the Federal Center of Social Redaptation Number 1 located in the state of Mexico. So, if you know anything about Mexican jails or whatnot, like, it's very common that they don't actually pass sentence and just hold indefinitely. So, this is why one of our uh, constitutional rights is, uh, is trial. trial. Yeah. Yeah. To do so process. it's just like, we don't have enough to fully convict, but we know you did it, so you're just going to wait for trial forever. They Something f- along those lines. They found enough bone fragments where they could convent, uh, yeah, convict. It's, it's just more of a mind torture. Mm. Yeah. Where it's just like, you can't serve your sentence if you haven't been sentenced. That sort of thing. Ah. Yeah, so like I said, it's it's very common for like all sorts of crimes that you just don't get a trial. Hmm. Okay. So 
And living conditions in these prisons are horrible. Truly. So the next little tidbit I want to talk about is slightly after, um, from the year 2009 to 2012, and it's called the Acid House of Horror in Germany. So just kind of getting into the article. Mind you, this article has been translated, so it's a little not very grammatically correct. So just from kind of... From German to English? Um, I believe so. Okay. They did. They did a decent job, but it's a little, uh, a little... Choppy at, at a couple points? Yeah. Okay. So the first thing neighbors noticed was a peculiar smell emanating from a large stone house in the village of Tudorin, Germany. When police finally went inside, they discovered vast fats filled with green gloop and bone fragments. The remains of human bodies dissolved in hydrochloric acid. The first victim was Alan Gergri. He had been killed in 2009, his throat slashed with an ice pick. The second, Mohammed Al-Jadir, was shot dead in 2011. The Dutch family responsible apparently acted out of revenge as they believe Gregory had raped one of their sons and accused Al-Jadar of trying to blackmail them for that killing. The killers, the mother and one son, were sentenced to 15 and 13 years, respectively. Another son and an accomplice were also jailed for helping dispose of the bodies. Although the mother and two adult sons have been arrested, the father and adult daughter of the family are currently on the run, possibly in Venezuela. Extraordinary cross-border case, the Dutch authorities have been seeking help from colleagues not only in Germany, but also in Belgium and a spokeswoman... For Maastricht's public prosecutor told the local, This is a very unusual case. The House of Horror was just over the border in Turden, Germany. That is where they disposed of the bodies. But at least one was killed in Belgium, and the accused family is actually from Holland. The first victim of the family, who she named as 24-year-old Alan Gergi, said to be from Iraq, was stabbed to death with a knife and an ice pick in 2009. Dutch newspaper Del Telegraph reported that Gerki had raped one of the family's sons. Two years later, Mohammed El Jader, another Iraqi, was allegedly shot to death by the family after Del Telegraph said he tried to blackmail them. He was hit by dozens of bullets, the paper reported. Although at least one of the killings took place in Belgium, the family took both bodies to their house in Germany where they cut them up and dissolved them in hydrochloric acid, flushing what remained down the toilet. We were initially following a missing persons report when Al Jader was reported missing by his family, said the prosecution spokeswoman. When his body was discovered, it had been almost totally dissolved in acid. There was hardly anything left of him. We also found remains of the other man, so we accidentally found two murderers rather than just the one. She said that although the international arrest warrants have been issued on the fugitive father and daughter, prosecution proceedings would continue and against the rest of the family, with the trial expected to start in May 2013. It's very difficult to gather evidence in this case. It needs to be... Uh, it's complicated forensic research. We are getting a lot from both Germany and Belgium. So, that is all I have on the acid murders. Very gross, I'm going to have to say. It's pretty gross. Yeah. In general, and also just like, I don't know. One, it's also pretty dangerous. And two, it's just like, 
you have to be a special kind of corrupted to do this, I think. Yeah. And it's not, like, fully foolproof. Like, still there are some remnants left in the acid, like, after the fact. I mean, teeth is supposed to be one of the most resistant things of all. Your body stuff. And, yeah, it's just like, what will... Well, it was only dentures that were were left in it. The teeth were all yeah, dissolved. Yeah, but they're they're made of also the teeth are all dissolved, but it does take some time. So like, what'll dissolve enamel may not dissolve plastic, may not dissolve other type things, may not dissolve metals. If there's like hip replacements and stuff like that, yeah, those have serial numbers on it. And so I mean, gallstones like, that form naturally, those are just like high calcium deposits. Those don't get dissolved. Yeah, so like if you're they, known to have those, it's still a clue, I like, guess. There was a person here yeah. at the very least, but it's just like, mm-hmm. I don't know. There is probably instances where there's more of this going on than people actually know, and that thought kind of... Upsets I, me. I mean, the Mexican cartel guy, he got away with dissolving 300 bodies, so that's... And who says he's the only one that does that? Yeah, you know there's more going on. Yeah. Yeah. Creepy stuff, too. Yeah. I don't know. I can't wait for you to watch Breaking Bad and get into that one episode, though. It's it's terrible, but it's kind of... They make it kind of funny, I guess. But it's terrible. It's like dark humor. Well, it'd have to be. Yeah. But um, it's just kind of like what more could go wrong with this type mm, humor. Probably. Um, so it's it's pretty interesting. Okay. But yeah. So those were the cases that inspired a lot of the recent media and movies for using oh, yeah. acid baths to dissolve bodies. Um, but yeah. That, that's kind of where this all kind of stems from. So I wanted to cover kind of a classic movie trope yeah. and learn the backstory of that. I mean, I'm always kind of up for where is the origins of something. I mean, I have gotten to the point where I've obsessed about where certain things come from that I've fully researched it. By the way, if you ever want to know what it means... By somebody saying it's raining cats and dogs, and why they say that when it's he- like really heavy rain, it's all the way back to thatched roof cottages, where the pets would try to stay warm, not allowed inside the house, but would just chill out in the thatched roof. So when it would rain super hard, it would get too slick for them to stay up there, so they'd fall off the roof, and it would be raining cats and dogs. That's a really funny story. I didn't know that. I know, but it was just like, that makes no sense. I have to look it up, and then I looked it up, and that's what it was. I'm just like, that's so much cooler than I thought it could have been. So, yeah, I'm into the origins of where things come from. So this is pretty cool. And I do have to, speaking about cats and dogs, I do have to apologize for Salem. He is kind of freaking out the last few minutes. So (laughs) I'm not going to be able to edit all of those meows out, but I think you listeners were kind of sticking by. I appreciate you. Dealing with our loud, loud boys. (laughs) But yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Hopefully you learned something. Oh. Or enjoyed yourself. We gotta talk about our stuff, though, John John. I know, but I mean, 
we're going to be talking about our stuff, but we just thank you for listening. Yeah. This is kind of a grody, but also informative subject, so it's a bit, it's on the more different than we've usually done, isn't it? Yeah, I, a little bit more different. Like, there was a reason behind us talking, and it kind of broke up Mothman a little bit, so we got back into the true crime aspect of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And but yes. Yeah. So, John, John, do you want to tell them a little bit about our Patreon content and your Cryptic Corner? Well, I mean, you kind of just told everything with that. I do a cryptid corner where I talk about some weird, strange creatures, supposedly folklore, maybe real, maybe not. Short, freeform. It's a little bit less edited. Because, I mean, you're paying the extra buck for our monthly subscription just to hear all this content. And then, to be honest, we'll give you everything, even the weirdnesses in between so come enjoy a little bit of a a laugh some of them are creepy some of them are cool some of them are funny who knows you'll find something you'll like probably and realize that there's a lot more strange things in the world yep and they get released weekly on wednesdays and like john john said you can subscribe to our patreon at patreon.com backslash violent vice for as little as one dollar a month or more if you feel like it i won't judge we appreciate more, and you get more benefits with more. But, yeah, just as little as $1 a month. Or you could buy some of our fantastic merch. Wonderfully designed. Beautiful to hold. Beautiful to wear. Maybe don't wear the pin, because that might, you know... Well, you can wear it on your clothes. On... Yeah, but don't put it on your skin. That's going to hurt. I think everybody's seen that trope. Yeah, yeah, Where no. somebody gets poked by that. that that's going to hurt. Put mm-hmm. it on something that you want to carry around with you yeah and you can find that at violinvice.bigcartel.com and again that's everything dealing with us is always a and d no ampersands here um and you can look at our blog at violinvice.com and i guess that's all i have and we'll see you guys next week all right looking forward to it bye-bye bye-bye Thank you for listening to Violin Vice Podcast. Cover art is by Colton Griffith. Music by Anne Valerie Beck. And research done by Corinne Drybildis. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Violin Vice Podcast or on Twitter at Violin Vice. That's V-I-L-E-A-N-D-V-I-C-E. No ampersands here. If you want to help support the show, please do so on Patreon at patreon.com backslash Vice, or give us a once-off donation on PayPal with our email, violinvice at gmail.com. Again, that's V-I-L-E-A-N-D-V-I-C-E to keep the spooky stories coming. Thank you.